Welcome to Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. I'm your host, Joanna DeBone, and this is a happy, hippie place for talking all things magic, witches and fiction, and creating the kick-ass life of your dreams. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 417, what? 417 of Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. My name is Joanna DeVoe and I am the kooky creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, putting the K in magic and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit. And you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode back on Blog Talk Radio where you will also find a link to today's extra magical guest, Annabelle Gatt, the author of The Astrology of Love and Sex, A Modern Compatibility Guide. It is right now 8 p.m. 8 p.m. on a Monday, and the reason that I'm yelling at you (laughs) and talking in this really excited, borderline manic way is I have had this kind of energy since the second I woke up this morning at 5 a.m., and I did coaching calls back to back to back today. I edited the podcast that you're about to listen to, the interview that you're about to listen to. I kicked ass. I kicked ass so much ass on my novel today writing, which will always get me super, super high. And then I had to drive to get the kid, drive him across town, which is across LA, that takes an hour, (laughs) sit and wait for two hours for him to play golf, drive back an hour, we ate our dinner in the car, and I'm still going. I'm like the Energizer Bunny today, and I I wish this for you. (laughs) I'm I'm sharing my energy with you. May you have a day like this. Whatever day you are listening to this podcast, I'm, I'm sending all my awesome good juju your way because I have felt amazing all day. I wish every day felt this way, but I guess if it did, I couldn't fully appreciate it because contrast contrast but I was just super on fire today and so happy dancing and singing and it was like I was in the musical all day long I don't know what was up with that but I'm very very happy about it I'm very very happy about it so we're just gonna hop in pretty quickly here to the interview with Annabelle because I have to help the kid get ready for bed, feed the cats, do the dishes, lock up the house, and I want to have some energy left over for that. But first I have to thank, thank, thank. That's actually how my family says thanks. I have to tell you, the kid used to say thanks. F-A-N-X is how we spell it. And I just want to thank, I want to thank the people. supporting the podcast over on Patreon. There are two new people I want to thank. Thank you very much, Katie B. and Avery Alexandra. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I really appreciate it. I hope that you are enjoying all the bonus content over there. And thank you to anybody who has ever, ever supported the Hippie Witch podcast with a review or spreading the word about the show or by literally hopping over that paywall over on 
Patreon. It means the world to me, and that's how I'm able to keep keeping on. As long as I can pay my bills, I'm going to keep showing up for you all. So enough about me. Enough about me. Let's just jump right in to this interview with Annabelle. I think I'm going to say something weird here. Yeah, I'm in a weird mood, so I'm going to say it. When I was editing this conversation, Annabelle was totally giving me Zasha Mamet vibes, especially toward the end. And if you don't know who, who Zasha Mamet is, she plays Shoshana on the show Girls on HBO. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> she does not have that same like super hyped up high speed thing going on that Shoshana does. She reminds me of Zasha, the actress that played Shoshana. So if anybody hears this and knows what I'm saying and feels the same way, you need to ping me on social media because I want that kind of validation for this. <laughs> I think I'm on to something. But she does have, Annabelle, has this super upbeat energy and she talks fast faster than me more upbeat than me she's just like on 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 I feel like she must write the way she talks because that is the only way to explain the incredible creative output that she's producing day after day she writes a daily astrology column and a monthly astrology column and this book and she still does readings we talk about all of that in the conversation and just thinking about that workload, even though I just totally <laughs> was bragging about kicking ass with my workload today, I was like, damn, I, damn, I, th I forget what she said. I feel like she said she writes four or five novels worth of content every single year. And I was like, wow, girl, like she's smoking. We also talk about what it's like to be a busy working astrologer like she is and the actual logistics of writing your face off all day long, day after day. And because The Astrology of Love and Sex is a book about sex in part, we talk about consent, we talk about representation, we talk about a lot of fun, interesting things, the occult in New York City, what it means to be a witch. If she calls herself a witch, I think you're going to love this. I think you're going to love this. So here she is, without any further ado, Annabelle Gatt. Hi, Annabelle. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I am holding in my hand something so gorgeous. I actually shared this on Patreon with the patrons of the Hippie Witch podcast. It is pink with gold fold, gold foil font. That's hard to say. Say that three yeah. times fast. Gold foil font, gold foil font. The Astrology of Love and Sex is one of the prettiest books I have ever seen. Yay! Thank you so much. I'm so happy that you have a copy there with you. It's it, thank you. I I love the book. I'm so happy that it's out now and that people can read it. Yeah, it's really fun too. This is Annabelle's book. For those who don't know, Annabelle is. I would say you're a famous astrologer for our times. Thank you. Thank you. Very well yeah. known. Very for those those in the know. They know who you are. I think. 
I think so too. Um, I've been writing the daily and the monthly horoscopes at Vice since 2015. So a lot of people know me through that, but I also used to have a podcast called The Serpent Cast, and I, I talk a lot on Twitter and Instagram, so people have seen me around. And now I just published my first book, The Astrology of Love and Sex. You know what it reminds me of, but in a, a younger, more fun, more modern way, is the one astrology book when I was a kid growing up that you would like stand in Borders probably was the bookstore back then. <laughs> stand at Borders or Borders and Noble. It was the giant like birthday book where you could look up your birthday or the person's birthday that you had a crush on or whatever, and there would be like a page all about them. This is about love and sex compatibility. I think, what is the subtitle here? A modern compatibility guide. But I think it's really fun in that same way where you can like go to the chapter on your sign and read all about yourself and then go over to your crush or your lover's sign and read all about them. Yeah. I mean, I think any, any witch has had this experience where when you're growing up, I think, you know, especially if you grew up in like the eighties, the nineties, early two thousands, there wasn't really like, you know, internet or cell phones everywhere. So the way that you kill time wasn't in the internet. Like you kill time at a bookstore. Yes. I, I hope, I hope people or kids are still doing this today. I hope they are. They probably are. But I think any witch like has memories of growing up and going to like the bookstore and hanging out in the occult section and, and looking through that exact birthday book. It's just so much fun to do. Like I would spend hours doing that. I, every other witch I know has done the same. Yeah. And it's that memory that really drove me to want to write a book. You know, like I, I always loved writing, but what really made me want to be an author was the fact that I had such, um, was so gratifying to just be in the occult section, reading all these things that I knew I wanted to like leave my mark on the occult section of the bookstore too. And, uh, that's what really inspired me to write this book. Mm. I was just at Barnes and Noble with one of my best friends and I was like, Hey, there's Annabelle's book. And then we sat there like freaking out about how it used to just be like a little shelf <laughs> yeah. And it would be everything. It would be like new age squished in with like Wicca. And it was not, you did not have a lot to choose from. And now it was like a whole row of, and, and it was divided into sections. So there was tarot, there was astrology, there was, you know, all these different sections, whereas normally you would have like this little tiny dusty shelf in the shame section <laughs> where you would just go <laughs> It's grown. It's grown. It's become part of the modern vernacular. I think talking about these things, even for people who don't identify as witches, it's astrology and tarot, things like that are just becoming the way people communicate. Yes, absolutely. It's definitely becoming an everyday part of people's lives. Astrology, for sure. People are talking about like, oh, Mercury retrograde and oh, there's an eclipse. Like people are talking about these things so much more than they used to. How does that impact you as an astrologer? Do you find that like the law of diminishing returns kicks in? You're like the next person to say Mercury retrograde to me, I'm punching in the face. Or do you embrace it and you find that it's really fun for you because you really actually have a depth of knowledge to talk about it? Like what is your reaction to it becoming increasingly popular? And it, it doesn't seem to die. It just gets more popular every year. Well, 
there's, I have a lot, many different answers to that question, but I would say in general, let's say I'm at the supermarket and the person, you know, checking out my item says something about mercury retrograde. And, and let's say, you know, it's something that is either wrong or that is maybe kind of blowing it out of proportion or like, or maybe it's not even mercury retrograde. I would never correct them or ever say anything about me being an astrologer because I just, I don't like to be a know-it-all. And also I like to let people like, like, you know, flex or, and just like use the language. Like it's okay to me if some stranger or some person who just says, oh, you know, they get mercury retrograde, even when it's not, because I'm, I'm not going to like, you know, police be the astrology police. You know what I mean? I just let them go for it. I'm never going to be like, actually I'm an astrologer and blah, blah, blah. Like it's so annoying. Like I'll just let them, I'll let them go for it, you know? So, and a lot of times I'll pretend I'm not an astrologer, uh, just to give the other person room to express themselves. You know, I kind of feel like it shuts people down when you come in with like, well, I'm an astrologer or I'm a witch, you know, just let the person talk. So that's normally my approach. If it's uh, someone who knows that I'm astrologer, that I'm an astrologer or is a friend of mine, it doesn't bother me at all when people talk about astrology. I would say the one thing that can irritate me is if I'm at a, like a party and everyone's like, oh my God, this is Annabelle. Everyone has to meet Annabelle. She's an astrologer. Tell her your birth time. Then I'm like, well, you know, I can't calculate your whole chart in my head. And, uh, so I won't be able to do much for you at this very second, but still, you know, that doesn't necessarily make me angry. Exactly. You know, it's people are just excited and people are so um, happy to like share this thing. That's really popular right now. Mm-hmm. But that's the one thing where it's like, listen, if I'm, if I'm out on the town and I've had a drink, I, I can't c- calculate your chart in my head. And even if I could, I probably don't really want to cause I'm relaxing. Yeah. But that's your job. <laughs> exactly. But otherwise, um, I love talking about astrology. I'm happy that it's like a popular thing right now. Um, it irritates me when someone who is presenting themselves as a professional consulting astrologer say things about astrology, which isn't correct because obviously I only want really awesome people giving astrology readings and having being told sensitive information by paying customers, but your everyday person, let them say Mercury's in retrograde, even if that's not grammatically correct. I, I, you know, it's all good. Let's all enjoy it. And, and for the record, nobody should ever punch anybody in the face. Okay, <laughs> I was sure. very much just kidding about that. Definitely. <laughs> so do you, you still read for people, even though you're writing a column regularly and you wrote this book, you still read for people one-on-one. Is That's right? Yeah. Um, when I was writing my book, I took a little bit of time off and like here and there, if I'm, if I'm writing a bunch, the way that my brain works is I can't go from talking, 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 getting real in depth. And then like suddenly like shift gears into like writing, writing, writing. I'm like, a I, I can't multitask. I'm a super focused person. So for example, on the days where I'm writing the daily horoscopes, I just write daily horoscopes. I can't write daily horoscopes and monthlies on days. I'm writing monthlies. That's it. I'm just doing monthlies. I, so my brain just doesn't work that way. I can't split it in many different directions. So if I'm writing a lot, then I well, I don't do sessions, but right now I'm done with the book. So I'm finally able to have days again where I can do my dailies, do my monthlies and do some sessions. And so I'm so happy to be able to give people consultations again, because that's the funnest part about being an astrologer is being able to talk to people and help them and 
share the weird ideas I've come up with and like see if it like applies in their life. And most of my clients at this point are people I've been working with for like 10 years or some of them for, you know, seven, five years, like people I've been like on this journey with for so long. And so now I'm kind of at this point where I'm like, I have like whole case studies here. You know, I could write a whole book about certain people who've been coming to see me. And that's amazing. You know, it's amazing to, I have gained so much and learned so much from the people who come see me. I'm so thankful for it. That speaks to the quality of you as a listener and as an astrologer, that people Thank would you. hang with you for that long and trust Thank you yeah. with their life story. And that's pretty incredible, too. I did see on Vice that you write a daily horoscope and a monthly horoscope, and then you're doing readings. You must absolutely love this because for me to even just think like okay writing a daily horoscope for each of the 12 signs and then a monthly horoscope and then writing the book and then doing readings my head wants to explode yeah mine does too that's exactly the right that's the same response I have it's a lot which is why uh, the only way I can get it done is by being super focused each day so having a day where I'm just working on outlining dailies, having a day that's just for one thing or another, so I can really devote myself to it fully without having um, my spirit be scattered. Are you a batcher? Do you batch tasks? So do you write like a whole bunch of daily horoscopes in one sitting? How do you do that? I try to. At my best, I'm a batcher, but it can't, you can't always achieve batcher you know, level. Sometimes uh, it goes slower. I try to constantly keep it moving, though. So maybe, you know, sometimes there's a day where maybe it takes me five hours to write one page, but I'll make up for it on other days where I can write 50 pages in one day, you know? So like, I kind of trust that it's all going to balance out by the end of the month. Um, I try not to be too hard on myself because at the same time, I also know that I'm really disciplined and that I'm really good at sticking to the schedules I make. So in the schedule that I have for myself, I allow for those days that I can't batch it out because there's going to be times where you just literally don't have enough brain cells to rub together to write something. Mm. <laughs> it just happens, you know? And then those are the days where I might outline instead or do some other kind of work to help me get ahead in the, in the future. Do you feel like you have an astrologer's natal chart? I've heard, I've heard people talk about like this aspect signifies that you might be an astrologer. Do you think there are certain aspects that point to this person might be astrologer? And do you have those? Yeah, there's a bunch of different uh, things you can look at to see if someone has an astrologer's chart. I think in my case, Saturn is my chart ruler. And in modern astrology, we think of Uranus as being the planet of astrology. But in traditional astrology, Saturn was the planet of astrology. Saturn is the planet of time. And I have Saturn in Sagittarius in the 11th house, which is the house that modern astrologers associate with astrology. So it makes sense that my chart ruler Saturn is in the house of astrology that I would want to be involved in the astrology community and that I would care so much about um, being a part of it. So that's definitely a lineup that I have. Uh, my Mercury, which is the planet of the mind, uh, is in Pisces. So I think I kind of lean towards more spiritual ways of thinking about things in general. Kind of on that note, I also have a Moon-Pluto conjunction, which also kind of points to me being interested in things like intuition and spiritual development, and that, you know, kind of also brought me along over to astrology. And I think in 
anyone's chart in general, something they probably want to look at is either Saturn or Uranus's placement in their chart and also take a look at what's going on in the 11th house. Those are going to be sort of three good places to start to see how astrology might, might, uh, might arrive in your life. I love it. I love it. And, and since you mentioned Pluto, I was thinking about you, I, you're a millennial, right? You're 30, yeah. 30 ish, early thirties. I'm 33. I'm like, I like to think like an elder millennial, an elder millennial. Okay. So I, I was thinking about again this weekend, it was a big weekend of thinking about things. I was thinking about millennials because I went to the movies in addition to going to Barnes and Noble and all the trailers were like, uh, there's a black woman protagonist and a crime drama. And then there was a woman who was super wrinkled and in her sixties playing a badass with muscles, like in the Terminator remake. And there was an Asian romantic love interest in a big, huge romantic comedy. And I was crying through the trailers because I was like, this is because of the millennials, isn't it? Because when I grew up, we didn't have this. Everybody was <laughs> white and straight and looked the same. And, you know, like, to ha- I don't know, there was something about it that struck me as I am part of Gen X. And mm-hmm. we are known kind of as the Pluto and Scorpio generation and then the, or excuse me, Pluto and Libra. And then this Pluto and Scorpio generation comes along and starts doing things that are very confrontational <laughs> and changing, yeah. switching things up and really changing things. And I actually felt that this weekend. So I thought it'd be fun to ask you about that because it applies to so many people, like an entire generation. So do you have any thoughts about that? Even though millennials are certainly changing the world, I think that Gen X is still totally changing the world, too, because a lot of the people who are putting money behind these movies are older people. Some of them might even be Pluto and Leo generation. So I think that um, it's all generations coming together to create really positive change. But when we take a look at Pluto, Pluto is this planet that basically bulldozes whatever is in its way and creates like rebirth and transformation. And Pluto in Libra is this kind of, um, you know, destroying old structures in order to create more justice and equality in the world. And Pluto in Scorpio is destroying the old structures so that we can get to like the bottom of the truth of a situation. And then Pluto in Sagittarius, which is like Gen Z, Gen Z, of course, is, you know, like these are the teenagers who are spending a lot of money. So it's just, you know, whatever it is that they're investing in, that's who like Pluto and Leo and all the older people are deciding to also invest in, right? Because you know, uh, all of these brands care about catering to youth. Uh, so it kind of becomes this big cycle, right? Because it's the, you know, the person, the older person with the money to fund the movie is making it for the, the 15 year old who's going to go spend it. So it's this whole big cycle. Pluto in Sagittarius, what, you know, Sagittarius is the sign that has to do with seeing the whole world and with, um, like higher education and getting a broader look at things. So that is certainly during the time in the 90s that Pluto was in Scorpio into the 2000s, we were all, you know, we had like, that was when the internet basically was invented. So we're able to connect with people around the globe in such a quicker, faster way than we ever were able to before then. So 
I don't know. This is I, I don't know if I'm really answering your question, but basically Pluto is working through all of these different signs and all of these different generations are coming together to create these amazing changes that the world needs to go through. Because what Pluto does is it, you know, gets rid of what's old and it creates a new system, a new structure. And what's old is sort of this really, you know, racist you know, and also sexist hierarchy that we have in this country. And hopefully that's all changing now. Yes. Yeah. 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 I love the way you bridged the generations together. Thank you for including Gen X. I totally appreciate it. But I think, I think it was to me, from my perspective, the millennial generation did pushed things forward in a way that I think Gen X, we wanted to, but we didn't know that we actually could go that far, like that radically and that liberally. So I think we're happy to like throw the bucks at you all and be like, yes, make that movie, make that record. And then you have this Gen Z coming up that is consuming it all. So it's awesome the way you it's a progression, you know, like yeah. we're building on what was before. You tear down what came before, but you also are building on that foundation. Exactly. And I know many, many completely badass Gen Xers who are totally confrontational, like ready to take down the system. So I'm not saying oh, anything yes. bad about Gen X when I say this, but Pluto in Libra, Libra is a sign that doesn't really want to fight. It's not very confrontational. So I think of Pluto being the Lord of the underworld coming in to just like, you know, destroy and rebuild when it's in Libra. Pluto's like, oh, do you mind if I destroy this section? You know, like it's kind of, it's a very gentle kind of, I, I'm not, I don't, there's a it's sustained diplomatic. gentle it's, it's diplomatic. It's diplomatic, right? But then when it, Pluto's in Scorpio, the diplomacy is gone. It's like, all right, we're just going to do this. And then kind of similar with Sagittarius. Sagittarius is this really blunt energy that just says things as they are. So as you're saying with that progression, we need Libra first, that kind of diplomacy thing to talk about like, all right, what's fair, what's balanced. Then Scorpio comes in. It's like, all right, let's just do this. It's not about feelings anymore. It's time to get to the bottom of the situation and change things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that applies to the book here too, because something that I noticed, I love illustrated books. It's heavily illustrated and we should give credit to Jess Rotter yes yeah so Jess Rotter illustrated this book and I love the entire thing is so that's why I wanted to share it on Patreon because I wanted to show like the inside cover and all the pages as well as the cover the whole thing is illustrated but the illustrations are people of different colors and and genders and there's like a blur a blurriness to the genders there's some characters in here where I you know you're like is it a man is it a woman is it a transgender person and I just thought that was so cool like that's new yeah that's new did you do that on purpose I assume you did I did you know I remember looking at compatibility books in high school with some of my best friends in Barnes and Noble and you know they were gay and we would read like the Gemini man, you know, Aries woman section, but like that didn't fit them because they're gay. (laughs) You know what I mean? They weren't straight. Like we would make sense of it in our minds. Like obviously we could read it and like kind of be like, Oh, you know, you can, you can make sense of it, but like it kind of, it sucks, you know, it sucks to read that. And so for me, when I wrote my book, I was like, I really want 
anyone to be able to pick up this book and see themselves in it because if they can't then I don't even want to write the book like for me like I I want to speak to absolutely everybody and I want that this book is for everyone so everyone needs to be able to pick it up and be able to connect with it yes yes yeah and and you do talk about that in the intro there's a talk too that I thought was very of the times you're talking about consent Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, this is a sex book. People should know there's sex stuff yeah. in it. She says fuck in the book multiple times, which I was <laughs> like, okay, this is where publishing is at today. <laughs> we can we can freely say fuck. Sometimes I fuss over it on social media. I'm like, should I write EFF, like F it? Or should I put a little hashtag where the U is to so as not to offend? So it was very refreshing just to see that word all throughout. Yeah. It was yeah. just straight up. Can we, we're all adults here. Can we not just say what we mean? Yes. Yeah. And then at, it's a sex book is what I was trying to say, but you actually have a section on consent. So even if you're saying this sign likes to be thrown up against the wall, don't just throw somebody up against the wall. Exactly. You know, and also people have asked me like, oh, did you write that section in the hopes of someone would read that and know that they should ask for consent for things. And obviously the answer is yes, but it also goes the other way. It's also just a reminder to people that people should be asking you for your consent, you know, because in writing this book, I was definitely thinking about myself being like, 19 years old and loving astrology and again like hanging out at borders like looking through these astrology books and being this young astrologer who was so passionate to learn I was writing this book being like what would I have like what would I want to say to my younger self and I think one of the things I would want to say to my younger self is you're not wrong for having boundaries there's nothing wrong with having boundaries it's great that you have boundaries and people should be respectful of your space and I definitely knew that but I think for anyone, young and old, it's just an important reminder to receive. Yep, yep. I love, yeah. too, that you said, and you can change your mind. You can consent to something and be like, well, I tried that, and now I'm pretty much done with it. And the person needs to respect that, whoever the other person is. Exactly. You know, sometimes we don't really know if we want to be thrown against the wall. <laughs> and maybe we're, maybe we're willing to give it a try. And then maybe it happens and we're like, no, never do that again. You know, that's how we learn things. Just because you say yes once doesn't mean it's a yes forever or that, that there's like a time limit on it. Well, it's like, well, you said yes. So it's got to be a yes for at least five minutes. Like, that's not how it works. You get to say no whenever you want to. Well, how I understand how the astrology came to be, but how did the sexpert part come into play where you asked to do this book and you were like I don't know if I can write about sex or did you already have like a reputation that way well with my clients I would say the number one thing that people ask about is sex like hands down. So I don't, I never intended to join the astrology community as a sex expert, but I think, I think really like anyone who gives consultations, whether they're an astrologer or a tarot reader or a witch, you end up coming across sex a lot. So that was just something I came across a lot that I had basically a lot of material for. And, um, throughout writing this book, I interviewed a lot of people. I spoke to people who are you know, technically quote unquote sex perts. So even though I don't necessarily consider myself a sex pert, I definitely would consider myself an expert on sex and the signs. 
Okay. That makes yeah. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I get that. So how do you, because this is all about sun signs specifically, even though you're saying you can read about your ascendant or your Venus. Let's actually break that down. Can we break down for people who are new to astrology or only familiar with sun signs? Maybe can we just explain the difference between a sun sign, a moon sign, and an ascendant? Sure. So the sun sign is your ego. It's your personality. It's also it has a lot to do with the destiny, your destiny in life. So for example, if you're an Aries, it's your destiny to be brave and courageous and to lead people. And then your moon sign is really your inner self. So let's say your moon sign is Capricorn. We know that your inner self is going to be very industrious and hardworking. You're always going to have a goal. You, you feel the most comfortable when, when, you're at, when, you're, when you're at your home office. And then the rising sign is basically what astrologers call the mask to the world. Mask is a very popular word associated with the rising sign. It's all about first impressions. Um, a lot of times it's the way that you style yourself. It's going to be the kind of outfits you wear. So those three are often called the big three, and there are three really important facets to your personality. It's your, you know, your, your ego, your inner world, and the way that you present yourself to other people. And then we also have planets in other planets in other signs. So for example, we have Venus, which symbolizes our values. We have Mars, which is our drive. And then we have, you know, Jupiter, which is all about growth and Saturn, which is all about our limitations and responsibilities. And then we have those outer planets, Uranus, Neptune, and like we talked about before, Pluto. And all of these planets come together to paint a picture of the person who is the person in question. So with this book, this is written from the perspective of the sun. But the truth is that we have all 12 signs in our birth chart. So really, you could read any of these chapters and they will apply to you in some way. So... The thing is, we all have our rising sign, right? And that's going to be some, it's going to be in some zodiac sign, but the rising sign sets up the rest of the 12 houses in your chart. Each of those 12 houses is going to be ruled by a sign. So that's how all of these 12 signs show up in our chart, even if we don't have a planet there. So to kind of backtrack a little bit, this book is a sun sign astrology book, first and foremost. However, you can read any sign because you will have one of the signs located somewhere in your chart, whether by planet or by house. So if you're reading this book, start with a sun sign. But if you're curious to know more about like the inner you, the really private you, the you that comes out when you're really intimate with someone, go check out the moon sign section. If you're interested in seeing what people's like very first um, impression of you is, check out the rising sign. And uh, that's a pretty much a good way to start. Some people ask me if they should read the chapter for their Venus sign and totally, definitely read for your Venus sign. And some people ask me, well, shouldn't you start with the Venus sign instead of the sun? And here's the thing you can, but something that I've noticed is that people don't really date from their Venus as much as they do from the sun at first. So yes, Venus is all about seduction and love, and it's all about what we value, but the sun is our ego. And until you've become totally enlightened, you're probably coming from a place of ego as much or possibly more than you are Venus and values. We usually don't get to Venus and values until we're feeling a little more comfortable with the person. So usually I would say we first show up as our, as our rising sign when people first meet us, then they get to see the sun, which is our ego. And then they kind of get to see Venus and, and the moon and everything else. So for example, one thing that I hear a lot from my clients is that they say, 
oh, I just met someone who I'm really, really, really into, but I don't want to scare them away. So I'm kind of just playing it cool. And I haven't said anything about wanting a relationship. That is dating from the sun. When the person's finally able to admit that they want a relationship, that is dating from Venus. So long story short, you can read any of these chapters, but start with your sun sign. I like that people can go deeper if they want. Or kind of anybody could just pick it up at a party and flip through to their sign because most people know what their sign is, their sun sign. Like if somebody says, what's your sign? That's what we're talking about. We should also say like the ascendant and the rising are the same thing. It's just two different words for the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. So how do you write about... A sun sign, Libra, for example, speaking about it archetypally without falling into stereotypes. So something I really tried to do with this book was really bust the stereotypes wherever I could. And what I did was in addition to writing about the archetype, like, for example, everyone knows Libra is the cutest, most popular sign. We all love Libra. I really try to kind of honor the Libra clients that I've had in my past, my, who came in to get astrology sessions with me and really spoke to kind of who they were as a person and kind of took that as like my study of what Libra is. So I, I really like colored my personal experiences with people who came to me for help with astrology, either as a client or a student to color what I knew about Libra, but there is a more extended part of this picture, which is that when I'm considering the energy of a Zodiac sign, no Zodiac sign can really exist without the other 11 signs. So for example, I might write about Libra and when I'm describing what it is that they want in a partner, I'm going to talk about Aries energy because Aries is the opposite sign from Libra. So that's all about partnerships. So in the Libra section, I might say Libra really wants to be with someone who's fiery and passionate and who isn't afraid to make the first move. Someone who, uh, you know, Libra stereotype is that they can always be really indecisive. They need to be with someone who can pick what to eat for dinner for the both of them. I'm not saying it explicitly, but I'm basically describing an Aries. So same goes for the other 12, uh, other 11 signs. So for example, if I'm talking about the financial situation or a financial approach that a Libra might take, I'm going to talk about Scorpio because Scorpio occupies the second house, which is the house of finances from Libra's first house perspective. So I'm going to say, you know, when we think about Scorpio, Scorpio is very, probably very good at calculating a budget. We often think of Scorpio as being calculating and Scorpio is also a sign that's inherit that's related to inheritances. So for Libra, I might say Libras just get really lucky with things being gifted to them, which makes sense because they're ruled by Venus anyway. But even if they're not going to inherit an amazing car and house, at the very least, they're going to be extremely financially savvy because they have Scorpio and that Mars and Plutonian energy occupying that financial sector of their chart. So it's a combination of you know, talking about the typical archetypes and stereotypes of the signs, my personal client work, but then also looking, considering each zodiac sign in consideration to the other 11 signs on the wheel. Yeah, there's a really interesting section here where you're talking about like, okay, so two signs ahead of you in this direction, this is what you're looking at, or two signs 
behind you in this direction. Yeah. And you went all the way through the whole thing. And I was like, oh, that I haven't seen that in a book before. Yeah, that's not totally original to me. It's kind of a it's sort of it's 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 sort of a wonky way to use what's called de- derived houses in astrology. And Linda Goodman, I'm not sure if she did this exactly the same way because I don't really know what her reasoning was, but in her book, Love Signs, she talks about something called patterns. So there's the one, one pattern. Uh, I, don't, I forgot what the other patterns were, but basically she's saying the same thing, which is that it's all about the geometric relationship between signs. She just came up with a fancy way to say it. I came up with like a super layman's just describing the geometry being like one sign forward and one sign back, you know? But really what it comes down to is geometry, and anyone who's studying astrology knows that geometry is really important in astrology, because what that is, is the aspects between the planets. That's the conjunction, the sextile, the trine square, opposition. It's those aspects that tell us how two planets are able to communicate with each other. So again, this isn't exactly derived houses, because when we're talking about derived houses, these are not aspects, but there is a certain geometry that takes place and it's this is sort of a mishmash of the two of them together i hope this makes sense Mm -hmm. it does it does i've been holding something too like off to the side of my brain for a while but i'm very curious to know i had seen on your website you saying i think it was in your about page that you had been involved in the occult community in new york since the early 2000s and then you mentioned witches here a couple of times so do you consider yourself a witch? And what does what all does that entail being a part of the occult community in New York City? I know I'm I know I'm totally jumping topics here, but I'm like very curious about this and I want to make sure I squeeze it in before we run out of time. Yeah, totally. So growing up in New York City, there were so many, you know, not just Barnes and Nobles and Borders that I could go to to read occult books, but we also had, you know, we still have Enchantments, which is one of, uh, which is the oldest um, witch shop in New York. And there were so many other stores when I were growing up. Sadly, there are definitely less now, but when I was growing up, especially in the late nineties, a lot of awesome, like goth shops, which I was a little bit too young for, but I still went in, I still went in, like pretended I had some money to shop around in, even though I was like, you know, 15 (laughs) in my Catholic school uniform. Like I still like, you know, showed my face. So there was just a lot of really cool stores. So through that, like uh, a lot of these stores had events and there were people there. So I kind of just became involved in the community that way, just kind of going to events and showing up at these different like open rituals that would take place basically. Um, When I got a little bit older in my early twenties, I joined a mystery school that I was initiated into. And I, I left that about after I left that after a while, even though definitely on good terms, but I just, I started to not have as much time for it anymore. And it just sort of didn't really fit my life anymore at that point, but left on very good terms. And I learned a lot about magic and the power of initiation through that and everything from going to ghost hunting meetups to astrology circles, to tarot circles, everything, all the amazing events that you can take advantage of in New York City in different like clubs and groups and book clubs. Um, I was all about that from the minute I was able to, from the second I was able to leave the house by myself. Yeah, we have an awesome witch culture here in Los Angeles, but yeah. I bet it's I bet it's even cooler in New York just because it's so old. I can imagine like the different traditions 
mishmashing around and all the different like before you know magic and the occult and all of that was is out in the open can we even call it the occult anymore I don't even know <laughs> it's not hidden anymore that's for sure right it's so like yeah. I, like no we need a new word but you know I, know I just imagine like all the little secret alleys and corridors in New York City that this stuff must have been going on like back in the day before people could just openly talk about it on a podcast yeah yeah it was cool I mean it's funny, there have just been so many, like, incarnations of it over time because, like, witch wars are a thing. Like, these stores battled with each other, you know? Like, there's always drama. There was a lot of, you know, speaking of Pluto, like, death and rebirth. Like, I've just, I think anyone who's been a witch for a while, you see so many scenes just come and go. And it's just like a wave from the ocean coming in and out. And you get to see so many different versions of what the occult community and scene is, but the the real ones stick around. I will say that. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's really always really cool. So you do not call yourself a witch? It's weird. I don't um I, I'm trying to think of where I am with that word right now. I am definitely a witch. I love being a witch. I think witches are the best and witches are awesome. But going back to what you were saying about it not being a cult anymore, it's almost like I don't want to call myself a witch anymore to anyone other than fellow witches. That makes sense. Does that does that make sense? It's, yes. I'm not embarrassed of it. I have so much pride in being a witch. But at this point in history, it's so weird because I just published a book about this stuff. So it should be the opposite. I'm like, it's the same thing with being an astrologer. Like I said, if I go to the supermarket and someone cracks a joke about it, I just don't talk about it. I keep my mouth shut because I want I just, I don't know, you know, I just want to let other people explore their own path without wondering what I am or how I you know, whether, whether or not I think of being a witch is an okay thing. Like, obviously, yeah. You know, I don't know. Thank you for asking that question. I, it's nice to talk about. Thank yeah, you. I, well, yeah. Another thing I saw in your about page is that you founded the Hypatia group and yeah. I have a huge place in my heart for Hypatia. There's not a lot. We don't have a lot of historical information about her. <laughs> we really don't. I am, my imagination has filled in the blanks. Oh, me too. Well, have you seen the movie <laughs> Agora with Rachel Weiss? Yes, I have seen it. That's one of those movies that I've seen like a few times, but it's always like before bed. So I, I can't, I, I don't really remember what happened in it, but I just love Hypatia. Like what a fucking badass woman that's the movie that got me excited yeah. about Hypatia yeah. I think yeah. I I wish we had more information on her but I would love to know what the Hypatia group is can you share with the audience here so when I founded that group I felt like there was just a really strong need in the astrology community for a space for feminist astrologers to come together where there weren't creepy old men being jerks that was pretty much, that was, that's the end of the story. I was like, where can I come up? I was like, let me make a Facebook group where it's just, you know, no one's going to mansplain anybody no one's going to send creepy dick pics. It's just, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know, uh, that there's a huge dick pic problem in, in the astrological community, but <laughs> it happens. You know what I mean? Like I, it's just, that's, there's a that's tiny dick. There's a tiny dick problem. <laughs> Yes, there's a very tiny dick problem in the astrological community. And I was like, we need just a rad space where 
women, but just not, not just women, like where anybody who identifies as feminists can come and not just talk about astrology, but specifically to talk about the business of astrology, because there are so many places around the internet where we can talk about like what things mean in a chart. But I was at the point in my own career and I knew so many other women at the point in their career where like, we just need to talk about like, what do you do if a, cl- a client's crying through the whole session and like, how have you dealt with it? Like what, 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 what is your advice? Or like, uh, you know, someone has contacted me about an interview, like what should I say? So it was sort of this group geared towards professional astrologers to talk about business stuff. In addition to talking about current events that were taking place in astrology and to talk about what was currently happening with the astrological transits in and in just in a safe environment. Yeah. Politics has been so heated for the last however long. So it probably helped to have a group like that where you guys could talk about Yeah, definitely. I started, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, 2015 when I started it. So like since then, it's just been, you know, like Trump and Me Too and all of that. So it's been so good to have a space devoted to discussing those things. Yeah, for sure. It, it's a hard. It's hard to talk about that stuff because you don't know. Like, is every astrologer a liberal Democrat? You just don't. You don't. Do you know what I mean? And and it, I think it's assumed. And the that, answer is that it's far from no. But you're right. People do assume it. They assume that's just that. not true. It's not. I can tell you just from the hippie witch audience, like friends that I've made. I was just in the car with a couple of people coming back from an event. And I said, I'm surrounded by Republicans right now, aren't I? <laughs> and we were all witches. We were witches driving home from something witchy in Hollywood. And I was like, this is so unexpected. And we all just laughed about it. But, but it is assumed. And so those conversations, it's good to have a space where you can be more nuanced about it, I think. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And for people who don't know who Hypatia is, I highly recommend seeing the movie Agora. I think it should be called Hypatia because it's about her and then the burning of the Library of Alexandria, which still just pisses me yeah. off to think about. I just can't believe yeah. it. <laughs> I, it's it's freaking traumatic. Like, who knows what information was in that library? It is incomprehensible to me that that took place in history. Yes, it's really upsetting. And Hypatia is considered to be, like, the first female astrologer. Is that, is that right? Yeah, um, definitely that I know of. Just a, She was a really talented, amazing mathematician and philosopher and teacher of this amazing occult knowledge. I don't know if she was necessarily considered an occultist. I don't, I don't think so because at the time it was just like, we're doing math, you know, (laughs) math was magic, you know, but yeah, she was just this amazing intellectual force. Mm -hmm. You're a teacher too. Yes. I love being a teacher. It's the best. I love it. I have Saturn and Sagittarius. So that's my, you know, Sagittarius is one of the signs of the educator. So I, for me, when I'm giving someone an astrology reading, I have to really hold myself back from teaching them why I'm saying what I'm saying, because not everyone wants to learn. Some people just want to hear and talk, and that's great, and that's fine, but what comes the most naturally to me is to say, this, this, and this is happening, therefore, this, this, and this will happen, and the reason I say that is because like, that's just what comes natural naturally to me, and there's just no, uh, for me, there's like no better feeling than like what was what is the point of me knowing all this stuff if I can't give it to someone else, you know? So it just feels so good to know that like I've passed it on to like the next generation of people who are going to help other people with that knowledge and I think that's what's 
awesome about being a witch too and being initiated into a path is that you get all this knowledge passed on to you. It's just this beautiful, I don't know, this beautiful package of wisdom that just goes from one generation to the next. That's just so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You said something too, that we could talk about this a long time and I bet not get to the bottom of it, but you were talking about belief, which is one of my favorite subjects, just belief in general, because it gets really wobbly when you start to examine belief. (laughs) But you were saying, I don't believe in astrology, but I use it as a tool. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh my God. Okay. So that's something that like stoners could stay up till four o'clock in the morning talking about like excessively and not really get anywhere because the more I thought about it the more I was just like I don't know what what are your thoughts on that can you kind of expand on that a little bit here yeah so uh, I don't I don't have a I don't I don't here's the thing I don't even really know how I feel so I'm just going to start there but the thing is I don't really know how I feel but I still know that astrology works for me and astrology is not a science like physics is or biology. Like I, I can't bottle it up for someone to explain how it works, but it just usually happens to work. You know, if I've lost an item and I do a horary to try to find it, it will usually show me where it is. And if it hasn't, maybe it's because I did it wrong. You know, like in general, it works. That's all that it that really matters to me. But there are other aspects to belief and magic that I think are really important to talk about because for a very long time, my relationship to, to astrology was that it doesn't matter if I believe in this as a religion, which I don't. It doesn't matter if I believe in it as a science, which I don't, because I still use it and it still works for me. But the thing is, if you approach all of life being like, well, it doesn't matter if I believe in it as because it's still going to work whether or not I believe in it. Like, for example, someone can say astrology is like the worst of the worst false made up thing. Astrology is not real, but that is not going to negate the fact that I might still be able to give them a session that they can gain a lot of benefit from. So astrology is this thing where it doesn't matter whether or not you believe in it. But in your own personal life and when you're doing your own magic, you have to believe in it because if you don't believe in it, it can't become real or at least that's kind of where I'm at right now. So that's, that's for me, an interesting struggle and question that I've hit, which is that in one part of my life, astrology, you don't got to believe in it at all. It's just that, you know, who cares? It can be completely made up yet. It still works. It has nothing to do with belief, but in another part of my life, which is not just magic, but including magic, but believing in myself, getting my work done, like being healthy, all of those things require me like believing in the fact that I can do it or that it's possible. Yes. So it's, there's like everything in life. It's not black and white. It's, you know, astrology. We don't have to believe in it. Just like, I don't have to believe that, that the sun will set today. It just will, whether or not I believe it. You said something about art too, like do you like movies? Do you like books? Do you like music? Do you believe in them? Like you believe in them. You believe in the power of music. If you enjoy it, I forget how you worded that. I think it was in the book actually that you said that. Yeah, it was. So a lot of times skeptical people will tell me like, how can you possibly believe in or work with something like astrology when it's not scientifically backed? And it's like Game of Thrones isn't scientifically backed. (laughs) You know, it doesn't matter. Like you still love it. And still, it still emotionally stirs you and it still teaches you something, you know, just the same way that like your favorite music does. It doesn't make it any less real just because it isn't a quantifiable scientific thing. Yeah. 
I like that you were referenced it. Well, you said you went to a Catholic school. Did, were you Catholic very, growing now, up? No, very briefly. I went to Catholic school for two years. I don't really remember why I went. I, th- I think I got some very good grades, and I think I was able to go. I think I got, like, automatically accepted to, like, a pretty good school. So my parents were like, why not? And I was like, yeah, I don't mind. Why not? You know, I, I just I wasn't against the idea because, this, this, you know, the school was pretty progressive. It wasn't, um, it wasn't a very strict Catholic school at all. At all. Uh, I think our, I remember like our principal was a nun who did like interpretive dance. So on the very rare occasion that we went to church, she did like interpretive dance for us. And like, it was that kind of thing. Like it was super hippie. So it was really nice, you know, and I love all religions as long as, you know, they're not uh, imposed on you. Yeah. Or like, as long as, you know, like some people have like really serious, like Catholic school horror stories. And this was not one of those places, but I only went two years and I grew up pretty much without any religion. Uh, my mom is really into Buddhism. My dad is just kind of disconnected from that sort of thing. He's not, he would never call himself agnostic or atheist. He just, I just don't think he thinks about it at all. Yeah, so we didn't really have any of this stuff growing up, but my parents are both Gemini's and they love to read. So we have hun- we had hundreds of books growing up, and we had a few astrology books, not because they really believed in it per se, but because they were Gemini's. So they just had books about everything. So I was able to get into it pretty early because of that. Wow, that's so cool! You didn't have any of the guilt that the rest of us have when we start getting into the occult. Like you have to spend. For me, I always say it's like this eight year period of worrying if I was going to hell. (laughs) It sounds like you didn't have to go through that. Well, the weird thing is I didn't go through that because of my parents, but I think that it's just still so, so culturally like relevant, like, like strong that when I did first start doing this stuff, I remember like fifth grade, sixth grade, I had sleepless nights where I was worried, like maybe I am going to go to hell. Like no one in my family taught me about hell, but like, you still know about that. You know what I mean? That is so interesting. So it's so culturally embedded that this kid being raised by two Gemini's with books on astrology and Buddhism is still laying up at night worried if she's going to hell. Yeah. And I think it's, Obviously, I, I, you know, I didn't grow up in a religiously strict home. So like my parents, my parents bought me astrology books. So like that I, was a major privilege, of course, but I had my own weird, definitely crisis. And then the other thing that I think a lot of people go through, whether or not you're in a religious home is not just the going to hell part, but then also this part of like, well, that's really silly or kind of dumb. Like, do you really believe in that? Like, that's just stupid. How could you call yourself an intellectually sound person if you believe in such things? So I think, um, you know, I definitely dealt with that kind of thing, not really from my parents, but occasionally there would be a little bit of like, well, it's one thing to have a book. It's another thing to plan your day around it, which they never, they never really did that, but I could, I could maybe, I could maybe be a little picky and pick out some times that they weren't exactly as supportive as I would want them to be, as I think we can all do with our parents. Uh, they were wonderful, so I really I shouldn't even go there. Yeah, everyone I know, whether or not you come from a religious family, there is also this thing of not just the religious aspect, but also the sciencey aspect of like, you know, that's silly. How could you believe in it? Yes, the intellectual yeah. snobbery. Exactly. Yes. Okay. So we definitely are running out of time, but you actually just touched on something I didn't get to ask, which I want to ask, like, what is a typical day in the life of, I was, I would say an astrologer, but let's just say Annabelle Gat. like what's a, a typical working day in, in your life for you? Or do you have a typical day? 
Yeah, I would say like an average day is I will pick what I'm working on in terms of writing, and that will either be monthly horoscopes or daily horoscopes or perhaps an article about something else, or maybe I'll just be outlining. So I'll pick one of those. Um, I might give a very short session to one of my clients during lunch if I have the mental bandwidth for it. I might give another session when I'm done writing, which is usually around 6.30 p.m., if I have the mental bandwidth for it. So actually I should backtrack a little bit. I usually wake up around eight and then I try to be writing by 9 a.m. So I spend from nine to about 11.30 writing, writing, writing. And then I go back from, you know, take maybe like an hour lunch break. And then I go back writing, writing, writing. So I try to write for a huge part of my day. I have to, I write, I, I mean, I write the equivalent of like, I think four or five novels a year. Wow. Just with the horoscopes. I write a lot if I have the mental capacity, I maybe give one or two astrology sessions. And then in the evening, I am a sunset junkie. I love the sunset. I love watching the sunset. It's like my favorite thing. I always try to watch the sunset. I love television. So I'm usually binge watching something. I love food. So I love to eat and I love my friends. Sometimes I teach an astrology class. Those are usually on Tuesday evenings. But in general, I'm writing all day talking on the phone with my besties when I have time and I'd love to just like walk around my neighborhood. My son is in the third house. So I'm definitely like a neighborhoody person. I'm like, Oh, let's go look at the sunset and like pick up some food here or there and say hi to the people at the bar, that kind of thing. I love that the sunset is sort of like the end of the work day and now the fun. What I, I mean, not that you're yeah. not having fun at your job, but the, the social like chill Netflix, hang out with your friends. The sunset is like the alarm clock in a way, (laughs) in a good way. Yeah, Yeah. that's very witchy. Yeah, thank you. I love it. Uh, What What are you binging right now? Oh God! Well, tonight's Bachelor in Paradise. Oh, I I did not expect that. No, I mean that's probably one of the weirdest things I watch. It's very, it's not very quote unquote on brand for me, but I recently got into it and I'm hooked. Just well, so much you are drama. you are the author of the Astrology of Love and Sex, so it's a little that's bit true. on brand. And you know what? And I look up all of their birthdays, okay. and that's half the fun for me. Oh, that's um, fun. So um, I still have a you know, it's, it's a it's a two night event. It's not just one night. So I still have a, a <laughs> bottle of wine left over from last night. So I'm going to finish that bottle, that bottle tonight with that. But other than that, I would say like this year, the TV shows I really loved was the second season of the OA. If people are into alternate dimensions and um, ideas of life after death, definitely check out the OA. Season two was mind-blowing. I absolutely love it. I also really love The Magicians. I can't wait for um, oh, yes to come out. You know, here's the problem. There isn't really any shows on right now because we're waiting for the new season to begin. So I'm stuck with like Bachelor in Paradise and like Shark Tank, whatever. <laughs> what else? What else do I love? So Magicians, the OA season two was amazing. Um, I love Riverdale. I really love Riverdale. So I'm very excited for River- Riverdale to return. I just love TV. Oh, you are a TV person. I love it. Yes. I love it. And you definitely are a person who has clearly created the kick-ass life of your dreams and my my last question is always like, what's your one tip for doing that? But before we give the tip, we should make sure to tell people the URL, like where to go find you online so they can, yeah. it'll definitely be in the show notes, but just for people driving or walking or cleaning, can you tell us your URL? 
Yes. So you can find me over on Instagram at Annabelle Gatt, on Twitter at Annabelle Gatt underscore. And my website is www.annabellegatt.com, A-N-N-A-B-E-L-G-A-T. And my one tip for leading a kick-ass life, leading any kind of life is really hard. Life is really hard and it's also really good. And the more you're able to stay physically present in your body when things are hard, the easier everything else becomes. And I, you know, have gone through a lot of struggles with chronic pain in my life. And one of the things that I've learned is to not be afraid of the pain when it shows up. And that is probably the one thing that has made my life exponentially better was learning how to coexist with that pain. And there's always in human life, there is always going to be some pain. And if we're resisting it and we're afraid of it, like, Oh no, pain is coming. Like you're constantly going to be in a state of running away from something. So when you're able to actually face and sit that pain, you're not going to be running away from anything anymore. And you're able to actually be present and do all the things you love to do. There's that saying, like, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. That's definitely not true. I'm doing what I love. And now I write a whole freak ton of work. So I'm working all the time, you know, but I'm doing what I love and it's still stressful. (laughs) Life is not any less stressful. It's not like, Oh, I was able to like, you know, quit bartending and quit my jobs in retail. So now I never have to deal with like a rude person again. People are just as rude when you work in publishing or when you have clients, like it never get working with other people never gets any easier. These things, if you, once you think that you've left the job that you think is like kind of bringing you down. Of course, if you're in an abusive situation, obviously definitely go, but it's not like once you leave there, things are suddenly going to be better. If only you were doing this, or if only you looked a certain way or whatever, your life is always going to be hard no matter where you're going. But when you're able to be present with pain, everything changes because you're not running away from life anymore. And you're really able to be there. Spoken like a true Pluto and Scorpio. (laughs) (laughs) Do what you love and it'll still be stressful is the new, the new t-shirt, everybody. (laughs) Yes, exactly. No, but that is a really good tip. Stay in your body and stay present. And, and fear too is a messenger. You can't receive the message if you run from it at the first time it shows itself. Yeah. That's a great tip. Thank you so much for doing this, Annabelle. I love it. Oh my God. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this podcast is iconic. You're an icon. Thank you so much for interviewing me and taking the time and for everyone listening. Thank you so much for listening and please go check out my book. Yes, do. Do go check out Annabelle's book, The Astrology of Love and Sex. I love that you can just walk into Barnes & Noble or your favorite indie bookstore would be even cooler and pick up a copy of a book like this. It's so artsy looking. It's so cool, but it's just one of those fun kind of coffee table conversation starter kind of things that I think even if you're not super into astrology would just be fun to have laying around for your next party or when a friend comes over or if you're on the dating scene and you want to look up all the different guys you're dating I think it's really fun or girls whoever you're into dating I think it's a really fun book to pick up and flip around that way and 
of course you're going to flip to your sun sign first, right? That's like the first fun thing about a book like that. But then you have to look up all your friends and anybody that you're having sex with, of course. (laughs) I also, because this podcast was really in part to do with love and sex, there's a song that I wanted to play that for me has a kind of, I don't know, like Sandra Bullock back in the day romantic comedy vibe, like the song I could imagine playing over the end credits of maybe a movie like Practical Magic, something like that, but with like this sort of Celtic pagan vibe to it. And a woman, I do not know this artist, her name is Heather Dale, but a woman named Hazel sent me this song of Heather's called Elemental, and it gave me the vibe that I just explained to you, this kind of rom-com vibe. I just, I don't know why my mind does that sometimes, but I could just totally see the credits rolling after a movie like Practical Magic and this song playing as you're leaving the theater and walking out with it stuck in your head and then going over to Amazon or iTunes and downloading it after because it's so stuck in your head. And the lyric that I thought you would really enjoy that I think also really ties in with the subject of astrology is the chorus of the song. And it actually, about halfway through the song, it just keeps repeating it over and over and over again, like a really upbeat, poppy mantra kind of and it is i see you earth and water with the sky afire with stars isn't that cute i see you earth and water with the sky afire with stars i don't think it's meant to be cute i don't say that to diminish the song in any way i mean it as a compliment it just gives you a really upbeat lighthearted, wouldn't it be great to be in love kind of feeling. And I thought that was the perfect way to end the show. So I'm going to do that right now. I hope all is well in your world. One more whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Sending all my extra high vibe, vibey vibes your way until we meet again. Much love to you. Peace. on the sea dreaming night you were there upon the earth ablaze with light as light comes to an ember once the fire has died as light comes to an ember once the fire is inside and I see you earth and water with the sky of fire with stars and I see you earth and water the sky afire with stars and I see you earth and water with the sky afire with stars and I see you earth and water with the sky afire with stars you were flying in the night raven fire from the spark As flame consumes the water once the daylight dies As flame consumes the water 
Before it takes the skies And I see you Earth and water With sky of fire With stars And I see you Earth and water With the sky of fire With stars And I see you Earth and water With the sky of fire With stars And I see you Earth and water With the sky of fire With stars As light comes to an ember, once the fire is flame no more. As light comes to an ember, I wash upon your shore, and I see you, earth and water, with the sky of fire with stars, and I see you, earth and water, with the sky of fire with stars, and I see you, earth and water, with the sky of fire with stars, and I see you, earth and water. With the sky of fire, with stars, I see you. Earth and water, the sky of fire, with stars, and I see you. Earth and water, sky of fire, with stars, and I see you. Earth and water, with the sky of fire, with stars, and I see you. Earth and water, with the sky.